In the Buddha's teaching, we have these um, two uh, possibilities, or it really amounts to one possibility the uh, liberation from the conditioned. And uh, first level of that is liberation from unwholesome conditions, those which lead to misery uh, and will continue to lead to misery in this life and the next, for oneself and for others. And, uh, and that is considered to be uh, uh, you know, powerful and fulfilling purpose, but it does also set up the possibility for liberation from all conditions, so Nibbana. And the two are not contradictory. It's uh, the case is that the cultivation of skillful conditions is considered essential to establish or to find the release from conditions. Because in cultivating uh, or eliminating the unskillful condition, you're actually able to work with conditioning, which is not uh, something that's established at birth, but is an ongoing process. So it's not like you get switched on and that's it. It means it's all it's it's already coming in as you get born. You've already inheriting conditioning factors, um, and these conditioning factors persist, and they're uh, bodily and they're uh, heartful, emotional and they're intellectual called sankhara and the most important one is the chitta sankhara the heart, or, uh, emotional or volitional uh, um, conditioning words are not that easy but it's our do it do it and of course don't do it <laughs> in various forms, subtle do it, inclinations, intentions, resistances, manipulations, uh, wonderful ideas, uh, beautiful actions, and so on. And so this is called karma. And the teaching of right view is whatever karma one creates, there will be a result of that for oneself, certainly, and probably for others too. It always comes down to this conditioning force, the sankhara, uh, which persists through lifetimes, which passed on through lifetimes. But you don't have to believe that. But you can recognise in this lifetime, it's that moving on, moving on, moving on, moving on, this to that, to this to that. Uh, Sankhara, the moving on, the wandering on. And so you might summarise that as the understanding, the handling, penetration, uh, the purification and the quietening of jitta sankhara, of these heartful, mental, if you like, psychological pushes and drives. is the aim, you know, everything else boosts that and, and is to support that. And with the recognition that this can't be achieved just by intellectual understanding, it's much more deeply embedded at a reflexive level. You know, we see urges and drives 
are not a rational process. We can rationalize them, but essentially they just keep bubbling up, moving on. And they are so embedded that they become us. This is one of the immediate results of karma, which mental karma is the strongest. Everything else proceeds from mental karma, bodily actions, verbal actions. Everything proceeds from the drives of the, of the, of the heart. You know? And uh, those establish our personal pattern. They, they form us. They form our, our self, our apparent self. It becomes created by these psychological, emotional, volitional tendencies. Mm. You know, we get... It's pretty obvious why we're all different, you know. <laughs> and things we incline towards, and things that give us enthusiasm and despond, and urgency and panic and commitment and doubt, you know, and hesitation. Uh, all these vacillating qualities of citta, and they get become us, and that's uh, uh, quite a teaching, really. When you consider it, it means whatever you become, whatever you sense yourself as being, that is conditioned. Uh, And the main drive of that, the main pattern of that, the main form of that, it's also called a mental formation, that persists. You know, so if one has a, a worry, generally we have a, a mixture of that, we have a worrying tendency, this object of worry disappears, we have something else to worry about. We have a irritable disposition, I mean, that piece of things that are irritating me has ceased, then this thing arises. The world is set up to annoy me. <laughs> oh, you might have a greed disposition, and of course, you're not to be totally negative, a love disposition or a, a charitable disposition. Generally, you've got a mixture of these, a particular mixture of these sankharas. It's not just a single thing blended together. And this gives the mind a shape. Um, may seem strange, but we talk about narrow-minded, broad-minded, hard-headed, soft-hearted. Um, we, we definitely use the same language to refer even in, in our culture to discernible tendencies, limiters, signs, characteristics of the mind. Hmm? As, as, a, as a footprint. You know, the gloomy mind, or the optimistic mind, or And so dependent on those, one seeks skillful means to understand that, to challenge it, to restrain it, to encourage it, to look into ways in which we can come out of this grip, of this conditioned pattern. And so a lot of our practice is the skillful means, which are preliminary practices have to do with just opening and community and discipline where you just go beyond your personal patterns yeah, 
into areas that one wouldn't normally go to or not feel so good about or take on things we don't feel so wonderful about and do them anyway and things we'd rather like to do just check that, hold that back you know? but you know, with this sense of what we're doing you know, it's not to be brutal it's to work on compulsiveness and on personal patterning with a sense of compassion because if you don't you know, the possibility of liberation is missed possibility for is missed and by and large it is missed for most people in the world so the Buddha is saying let it not be missed here are roots of trees here are empty places meditate lest you regret it later and we use the term meditate we use the word jayati which as I've mentioned before is what now jhana comes from of which there are cluster of views and perceptions and attitudes but that's the word used um, it means get into it you know, get stuck into it <laughs> that's what he's saying uh, work on this Sankara Final words, you know, all sankharas are subject to decline. Work on it, work on it. And working on it can be a number of things, can't it? It can be softening, quietening, it can be brightening, strengthening, depending on what your pattern is. But in all cases, it's very, very helpful to establish a foundation which enables you to discern those uh, as they're arising. So that you know what you're doing and you've got some, the mind has the power to both resist and change and moderate and also release from these conditions, conditioning forces. Of which the first cluster uh, called the hindrances. Mm. Yeah. And, um, and it goes further into, into more subtler uh, kilesa and um, defilements and outflow tendencies, tendency towards sensuality, tendency towards personal continuity, future existence, tendency towards nihilism, uh, and so on, tendency towards views, which establish solidity to this mind, give it a shape. We say, we don't want shapes. We want to be just uh, something that's, if you're a shape, then it gets distorted. Something that's like a cloud. You move through the world like a like mist. Shape is depending what the valley shape is. It can be narrow, it can be wide, it can be fine, it's fluid. And so moderate understanding citta sankara. And this term is used both as a that which effects, uh, so you have this primary quality of sankara, that mind is conditioned, 
gets conditioned, it's already conditioned, and what that condition uh, does, it activates the citta. So you can say in some senses it's activation, movement towards or away from. And this, uh, you know, and then we have current society, often that activation is as quick as possible, fast forward, cut corners, um, squash scruples, Mm. get your own. That's the crudest form of the worldly conditioning. And to a certain extent, we've all been soaked in that and naturally found it distasteful, moving away from it. And then you've got to keep recognizing those tendencies when they arise. Not a competition be better than one was or others are or something to seek approval affirmation belonging to something Mm. or cutting out of it all being an independent person let's see how it works the negative and the affirmative activation this is the active aspect of Sankara, and Sankara is also called, Chitta Sankara is also called perception and feeling. And it's, these, are, these are the experiences that trigger activation. So perception, we, we notice something that strikes me in a particular way. That's bad, that's good, that's untidy, that's wonderful, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah? That's beautiful, that's disgusting. Something meaning arises. Yeah. Um, he's doing this, she doesn't like me um, he's threatening me, all oh, kinds of stuff and particularly on sign retreats it uh, becomes apparent how much of this perceptual material is purely internal you might say People certainly when I've taught retreats people have all kinds of ideas about the other people on retreat who are sitting in silence and, you know, this person's a control freak, she hates me He's obsessive, he's a weirdo, and it's some innocent person just sitting there. <laughs> you know, stuff projected on them. And it's great teaching because you think, wow, he hasn't actually said a word. And still, people work up animosity and, and romance around somebody just using a mop <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, the meaning is so potent ready to fire, you know, particularly around other people. On your own or in a group, I can't meditate, there's too many people around. Around what? (laughs) You know? What are they around? In your mind, aren't they? Uh, so perception and feeling, quality of pleasure, or agreeable, disagreeable, neutral. So those get the mind hopping, obvious ways. Some of it is perception, some of this is karmic. That is, you know, 
When I was 16, a large man with a beard beat me up, therefore I fear all large men with beards. Even if they're Santa Claus, I still feel nervous. So it's historical. And, uh, but you can't, you can't do anything about history. You know, everybody's been done over by somebody uh, or fell in love with somebody. So you just notice the arising of meaning and the triggering of that. Is it possible to check that? And if it's not, then, hmm, then you're going to be going round and round for a while longer. How is it possible to do that? Well, as the Buddha said, meditate, meditate. <laughs> Get stuck into the roots of the mind. And in this uh, mainstream of the, of the, at least what the canonical presentation is, mindfulness, the four postures of the body, energy, um, discernment, clarity, and samadhi. That's the main bit. Mm. So, notice the Buddha using body. Uh, Seems that his early meditations, when he was with his yogic teachers, were out of the body experiences. They were um, immaterial. He was having these out-of-the-body, it seems, experiences. He found they were not profitable. So he came back to an embodied experience, sitting, root of a tree, remembering being a little boy. Actually very grounded and focusing on breathing. And saying, this quality of pleasure that arises, this is not unskillful. This is a skillful kind of pleasure. And that was his big discovery. Well, yeah, okay. He made quite a few big discoveries. <laughs> but that was quite a remarkable thing from, from the Samana ascetic tradition, which tended to repudiate and fear all kinds of, of agreeable feeling. As you can get lost in this indulgence, sensual corruptions and so forth. Pretty common theme in all religious life. You know, pleasure is fearful. People get blown away by it. So no, this one... This one is skillful. And it's the pleasure born of non-attachment, purity of conduct, um, having a sense of spaciousness around uh, not not being non-attached to sense pleasures because the the recognition of it under this influence, something happens. I mean, probably quite a few things happen. You know, for the average person they feel withdrawal or you know their addictions have been cut off but someone who's got one-pointedness and commitment heart starts to brighten up oh that's interesting meditate then they you know chitta brightens up through through this embodied experience sitting breathing in and out this is good could this be the way to enlightenment to awakening and having cultivated it and penetrated it and developed it 
He said, yes, this is. It's an awakening process. Talks about reviewing karma, um, and developing these different jhanic states, and then through wisdom, discerning the ending of the becoming, ending of sensuality, discerning how to stop that. And it seems that the um, the samadhi states are there as a backing. They're by themselves not not full liberation, but they give the mind a refuge from sensory input, and even particularly from the sensory input of the thinking mind, which is generally always introducing ideas and perceptions. Perceptions of people, perceptions of oneself, perceptions of a place, perceptions of the world, perceptions of how things should be, how things could be, how things aren't, how things are. So it's thinking mind triggering, 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 triggering. He said, in this you're not going to get any enough space to really, you know, push back. You're not going to get enough space to push back from all that. Therefore, quiet that down. And you quiet it down through giving the, the mind a fairly good feed to pleasure because that's what the mind likes and it settles it feels comfortable pleasure born not from tactile contact but from the vitality of a serene steady composed body immersing oneself in that And that's the that's the main line. Mm-hmm. Of course, these teachings themselves are words that create ideas, and so they're more perceptual input. And you think, oh, what does that mean? Do I have to do this? Could I do that? How long do I have to do this for? Does this mean I get to that state or not? Perhaps not for me. But someone sort of said it this way. So you know, I don't think I can do it because I'm too busy. Or whatever, you know. So he's triggering it again. <laughs> you know, see the main uh, input is not the external senses, but what the thinking mind does. So just... Yeah. How long do I have to sit to get into this state? Mm. Notably, the Buddha didn't uh, limit it to sitting, didn't limit it to breathing, walking. He said, I talked about these jhana states, samadhi states. While I'm walking up and down, I sustain this. I feel comfortable. When I stand, I sustain this, I feel comfortable. When I lie down and sustain this, I'm in this, I feel comfortable. And I can review the states. So we're not talking about a kind of hypnagogic, out-of-the-body, astral state. We're talking about fundamental basis that feels comfortable, steady, stable, 
allows one to check the internal compulsions or at least recognize them and get a handle on them and, and quell them mm. and also understand them understand what triggers them understand who they create and become dipita they say weary of it here I am again you know here we go again (laughs) you get that that's a very helpful sign creating myself again Mm. it's distaste for more of that it's not critical it's not hatred it's just enough you know and then the, the uh, passions and the views and the holding on and, you know, so, geez, this is tedious <laughs> this uh, Certainly this nipita quality is very conducive for uh, dispassion. With dispassion and detachment, one begins to see these conditions, conditioning activities, these personal states, these personal moods, as impersonal phenomena that are transient. It's a cliche, isn't it? We all know Everything's impermanent, changeable. Yeah, but to, to really have it as an idea in the heart, you see the, you know, the smoke-like nature of identity. It's as thick as you make it. Turn the fire down, smoke disappears. You don't have to thrash around in the smoke trying to get it out, just just cool the fire, smoke will die down. Work on cooling the fire by the attitude dispassion, also just calibrating the mind to the movements of the body. Walking, steady, whole body moving steadily. Very good way of moderating these volitional tendencies, either get dragged back, I'm fed up with this, I'm doing this for half an hour, do something else, you know, a cup of coffee, lie down, read a book, just keep going. Acknowledge that. Stop, stand still if you like. Take a long breath out, down to the feet. Whole body walking. It's where you unravel these um, conditioning forces that will always come up to mm, to create you and the world around you and getting upset about it isn't going to do you any good you know, uh, blaming oneself or others is a very immature response not going to go very far. Feeling the poise, 
that steadiness of the citta embodied. So you can step back. And the deepening of this um, embodiment gives rise to a quality of piti sukha, as a certain joyful brightness, which has a bodily aspect, and if you're fresh, and there's a sukha quality which is easeful. And we're looking more towards pleasure as ease rather than exciting. There's ease. Body feels ease. Body doesn't, you know, get excited. It feels best when it feels easy, at ease. And that's what we're looking for, easeful in the body. And then the mind picks up that, that quality. That's what you want. The mind can get very, very excited. And body, much easier for the body just to relax the nerves, the muscles, comfortable. Mm. And working through one's appetites for something a bit more spicy than just walking up and down. <laughs> Which, I'll grant you, is a... <laughs> you know, it's not, not going to get rave reviews, but <laughs> it does the job. You go through that 20 minutes or so, first two minutes, okay, I'll get out there and start. How long does it go on for? Grumbly and something else you could do, and fantasies. Then you get, they get dogged, dogged, I'll oh, keep pushing away at it, donk, 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 donk. Turn around, donk, 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 donk. I can't concentrate, donk, donk, donk. You know, no, no, this isn't the way to do it. That's still mental. It's going to how the body walks. You can never figure out how a body walks. If you try to figure out which muscle to use first, you'd be here all day and you wouldn't be able to lift a foot. But noticing how the body does its walking. And there's something quite beautiful about the, the synergy. How, you know, the feet, the legs, the hips, the shoulders, the chest spine holds everything together so you don't fall over and it flows along now in our culture because we tended to morph into legless beings who move around on wheels um, great forest monasteries place where you actually use your legs rather than jump in a wheel box and shoot somewhere else or just jabber down a phone we're getting to more jabbering down the jabbering to email with each other <laughs> But it's really good to walk and you know, you're dwelling in the forest just to make a practice out of walking, you know, mindfully walking, feeling your body walk through the forest, through the mud and the leaves and the damp. You know, if whatever happens, till you get to your kuti. Sustain it. So you're not in a hurry to get there. You're not hanging back. You're not planning it. You know? This is great practice. And uh, it's the body moving. Who needs an identity when you do that? When you get on your walking path, you don't need to be somebody walking, do you? You you Walking will happen by itself. You just set up that program. You don't have to plan an action plan or fall back. 
What happens if the path disappears? Um, you don't have a management structure to walk. So you don't have to have a future. So you get, you know, peeling off those layers of conditioning. Even to be somebody walking is already a problem. If you think you're somebody walking, then it's going to have to be a case, a sense of how good am I doing it? Am I doing it the right way? How long do I do it for? That's already stress. Best just to stand until then just set up the idea, walk, and see what happens. And just keep returning to how the body formulates walking, the kaya sankara, the bodily energy moving through walking. It's not uh, hasty, it's not hanging back. And this creates a certain uh, crucible. And Buddha said you know, the, the samadhi that you develop through walking is considered very durable, it's long lasting. Because partly because you, you do get really you know, physical with it. And to do so, you have to constantly meet the sense world, which, which means you've got to come meet it and not be pulled by it. So your samadhi gets very firm through doing that because you have to, not just pleasant sights and sounds, but the, the idea of going places which comes with walking. You know, we tend to walk as if we're in a tunnel or a corridor, narrow walking. We march, we tend to march in a line. And that always gives our eyes the idea, get there, to the end, the end of the street, the end of the tunnel, the end of the corridor, get to the end of where the, you know, the lines meet on the horizon. This already is a problem, because then the volition is towards the end. And that's purely a visual presentation, presentation of space. Is it possible just to, to Walk as if you're swimming, just feeling the body moving with space around it, rather than space being a measure of distance that you have to move to to the end of, to an end place. Could it be just that space could just be a pleasant medium of non-resistance and openness around your face and your throat and your chest as you as you move along? And just, just keeping that walking form within an open space. And so then you put aside space, distance, space is distance, you just put aside time and purpose. You know, these mental constructions. But those put aside, a lot of identity disappears. The, the underpinnings of identity, being somebody going somewhere, when there's nowhere to go, when that isn't being created, identity, less underpinning. This is bhava, identity, bhava tanha, the craving for identity. And of course we can compare ourselves, that's another way of creating identity. And particularly in community life, this is a very easy refrain how come he doesn't do that and I do? Why is she getting that and I'm not? 
Why does he walk so fast and I'm doing this? Am I doing it as good as she is or he is? Yeah. I didn't get to do it as much as they did. Do I have to do it the way... You know, <laughs> the comparing mind. I want, you know, <laughs> who's getting the best deal? <laughs> you can go, look like that, you're going to go really have a lot of stress and suffering. There's only, there's, you know, the only deal you need to work with is one you're getting. Just work with that. <laughs> uh, the timing. I don't like to walk. I like to walk at nine, not at ten. <laughs> Numbers. Uh, so there's you know, all these really rather embarrassing <laughs> to witness some of this stuff coming up. Well, let go of that one. You know, we, uh, meditation is continuing embarrassment. <laughs> of the self-continuing humiliation of self-view to see how petty and stupid one's, one can be. How's <laughs> that? Good, you can see that. Now don't get reactive to it. You see that. Is there a place or a space or a domain that you can review that from? Well, this is the purpose of cultivating samadhi is to establish that foothold from which you can review without getting stuck in and without reacting to so it's a way of and this is its function in terms of liberating uh, from unskillful conditions and then liberating from self uh, so samadhi in this sense properly cultivated it has to be cultivated with wisdom has to be cultivated with mindfulness and leads to greater wisdom and greater mindfulness whether it's walking, standing, sitting, reclining, it's possible. And since our bodies really only do that kind of thing, um, we have the full kit and the equipment for that practice. So let's take some time to cultivate quietly 